That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, happy Passover, Jake. It's not Passover, but that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, as we look at the, um, the sermon uh, the lectionary passages for those of us preaching sermons on September 6th. This is Labor Day weekend, uh, and uh, uh, but before we get into it, how are you doing? I'm doing great, and uh, also um, happy upcoming Labor Day for you, and uh, any big plans for Labor Day weekend? Uh, so the week before Labor Day, we are taking a little bit of a break. We're going to like this little uh water park where we can socially distance and uh and have a little break because we moved school starting in waco now on september 8th so wow it's like the old days yeah uh, so it's kind of like the last uh last hurrah of of this so-called summer uh so that's yeah but for labor day itself uh we're starting sunday school at st albans uh or that weekend nothing nothing other nothing too crazy going not not marching in any uh pro uh, labor union uh, demonstrations, which is what Labor Day was all about, That's folks. That's right. That's right. Um, well, good. What about you, Jake? No, Anything for you? Just, hot dogs, grilling? Yeah, probably just some grilling. I will, um, yeah, just taking it easy and uh, and enjoying the rest, uh, <coughs> a rest from my labors. So anyway, um, no, it's, um, it's good and uh, it'll be interesting. The kids will start school that next week and so as well, and it's looking like it's going to be all online here in New York City. So I will be a homeschool parent along with Melina once again, and um, yeah, and there's a reason why I send them to school. And so uh, we, so we, are we all found learning. out. Yep. So I love that. Uh, there's that meme, and it says, um, uh, "You told me it was some some parent has a sign. It says, you told me it was my children were a joy to have in class. You've lied to me.' And so anyway, <laughs> I think that's great. So. But uh, our readings for today are Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, which is all about, which is all about the Passover. And then we have, um, it's allergy season in Waco. And then we have uh, Romans. I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay. We have Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. And finally, uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 15 through 20. And so, um, which at the end of that passage, we have a lot to talk about. So, um but here we are, and um, we have Exodus chapter 12. So we have moved. Once again, a lot of things have happened. If you remember, Nine chapters, just skipping them all. Yeah, so uh, Moses has gone back, and, uh, and uh, he has taken on Pharaoh. He's told old Pharaoh to let my people go. And Pharaoh's response repeatedly has been, no. So um, I think it was actually in the King James, it was nope. A big nope sandwich with an extra helping of nope sauce. It was no. I think it was just a simple nay. So anyway. 
So, uh, but uh, that is, um, that's been what's been going on. And so, of course, um, what comes next? But uh, a series of plagues. It's interesting to note that each of the plagues represent an Egyptian god. So um, uh, we're, um, you know, the god of the frogs, the god of the river, the god of all of these things is being taken on and decimated, um, which all culminate in the life and person and work of Pharaoh are being decimated by, um, by Yahweh, by I am. And uh, it's important to note, too, that this is the previous chapters represent an un... Uh, like um, um, and, uh, a picking apart of creation. So whenever we exalt ourselves, whenever humanity exalts itself to the place of God, creation begins to unravel. And so essentially, and so we are now in Exodus chapter 12, where we've come to the highlight, the high point of all of this. Um, and, um, and before uh, death, um, begins to fall upon Egypt and kill all the firstborn, um, uh, there is a, an important dinner that takes place. And right here, Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, is the very heartbeat of the Jewish faith. That's right. And this is what Jesus will celebrate with his disciples on the night he is uh, arrested. And uh, this is typically, if you're in a liturgical church, this is you would read this from Monday on Monday Thursday, Thursday. Mm -hmm. because it describes the context of that meal and the key thing here is people are about to be freed they have been enslaved by the Egyptians for centuries life has been terrible God has spoken through Moses to Pharaoh given Pharaoh lots of chances now this is going to be the worst plague the death of the firstborn and so what happens here is that freedom is going to come to these people through suffering they will be spared the suffering, but they there is a sacrifice. Uh, this blood has to go on the doorposts, and so uh, there's a there's a haste in which they have to eat it. Um, the bread is unleavened, unleavened because to make leavened bread to get those big fat yeast rolls that they used to have at Shoney's or the Golden Corral or whatever, you have to let it rise, and they don't have time for any of that. That's why they cook the whole thing quickly with its inner organs. They don't even have time to properly slaughter it. You just make everything quickly, you eat it, and you get out, and there's blood over the door. And I think, again, the the thing to look at here is to connect it. As, as you said last week, Mo, uh, Jake, don't stop with Moses, go to Jesus. You want to connect it, if you're going to preach on this, to the blood of Jesus, which is the thing that saves all of us. Uh, interestingly, the the Hebrews are not saved because they're especially moral. They're not saved because they're the good ones. Um, yes, the Egyptians are bad, but we'll have plenty of chapters to figure out how the people of Israel are also not great, and there have been some lots of that actually in Genesis and in Exodus to, to show exactly that. The thing that saves these people is the blood. Mm -hmm. It's the blood that uh, of another. And so that's, again, what it points us to. And so when we uh, say, um, if, when we have communion services in our prayer book, uh, the Passover has been sacrificed, therefore let us keep the feast, it goes exactly back to this. This is the Passover. And when we celebrate that meal, we are not, because our, our communion meal is, is, again, comes straight from this. It's not that we're good or that we're some, you know, we get gold stars from God because we've been on our best behavior. We are saved through the blood. That's that's what I would emphasize if I was preaching on this passage. What about you, Jake? 
<clears throat> yeah, nothing but the blood, baby. Um, and uh, don't let anybody tell you that uh, atonement is not a part of Christianity and a part yep. of our religion, because this is what is happening. Um, and uh, yeah, I would say a couple of things too. You're absolutely right. You got to take it to um, where Jesus is at the Passover, and he takes all of the all of the aspects of this supper. And he points it to himself and says, these things all ultimately find themselves fulfilled in me. Take, eat, this is my body. Uh, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is yep. shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And the important thing, if you've ever been to a Passover Seder, um, when they talk about remembrance, it's not kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, wow, that was amazing when it happened back in the day. You remember that? No. Um, remembrance is to be brought into the moment. And, um, and so whenever you go to a Seder, you are brought into the moment. And, um, and uh, just like when we have communion, um, when we do this in remembrance of him, um, we are not doing this like, oh, you remember when Jesus did that for us a long time ago? We are brought into the moment and we receive the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood. And indeed, um, it is in that that we are remembered that we are baptized and we have been brought into Christ's death. And so therefore, and will be raised in a resurrection like his. And therefore, by his blood, as you said, death passes over us as well. Yep. And so we then move to Romans 13, and this is, again, Paul finishing the end of this letter to the church in Rome, and he is continuing his instructions for the community there. What does it look like to live the Christian life? And what strikes me about this passage is how different it is from how many people think the Christian life should be lived, in that he sums it up in one word, love. Love your neighbor as yourself. And... Many people make Christianity a much longer list of things that we are to do or not do. Think about uh, for many Christian institutions, schools, and colleges will have like a, a, a code of uh, like a the conduct that you're supposed to, to follow. And uh, Christianity becomes for so many people a list of rules. And here, Paul says, no, you're, you're missing the forest for the trees. The thing is love your neighbor as yourself. That's where it all flows from um, so, uh, any, what, anything you want to talk about, Jake? How you want to preach about not living in debauchery or licentiousness? No, I think uh, I think um, that's a no. That's a good point. It's all summed up in love, and uh, but we have to remember that this love isn't about like gritting our teeth. Um, you and I have a mutual friend called uh, Dr. Sasha Hines. That's her name, and yep. uh, and she has a great quote in. Um, where she talks about, she's quoting actually from um, Luciano Pavarotti, and he says, people think I'm disciplined. It's not discipline, it's devotion. And, uh, and what, what Paul is talking about, if you go back to all of what God has done for you and how much he's loved you, and yet while we were still sinners, yeah. Christ has died for the ungodly. Uh, this, does not, this isn't about discipline. Uh, the, the, the gift to love is out of devotion. And uh, this is what we're talking about. And so this is what the devoted life looks like. And, uh, you know, and uh, this is, um, yeah, that's what I would say. I would say this isn't so much a command in the sense of do this or else. This is because Jesus has loved you so much. Therefore, 
uh, love is fulfilling the law. And he's fulfilled the law for you. And, uh, and so now you're free to um, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. Um, I think the other thing is, is to go on uh, to the next paragraph. Besides this, you know what time it is. And do we know what time it is? And how now is the moment for you to wake from the sleep? And uh, I think we yep. tend to be sleepy in this sense when we're sleeping, is when we do think of um, the Christian life in terms of discipline, when we revert back to the old ways of trying to, to earn God's approval. But, um, you know, but so we let aside the, um, we lay aside the works of darkness and things done to actually garner God's approval, no matter how wonderful they are, are actually works of darkness. And uh, we put on that righteousness that is already covering us. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and that's why he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And we often think that to make provision for the flesh is to, you know, we've been so shaped by our puritanical heritage. And we think that is about sex or maybe it's about money. Um, and it could be about those things. And it sometimes can be about those things. And that could be true for you. But oftentimes for us, making provision for the flesh is to fall back into... Uh, thinking we earn God's love even by our righteous deeds, you can, you can, your, uh, your flesh can be congratulating itself for its, uh, its asceticism, for its denial. You can, you can be self-centered and look very spiritual about the amount of time you spend in prayer and the fact that you did not eat the brownie. Mm. Like that, in a sense, can be provision for the flesh as well. Going back to the law is what Paul is cautioning against, and what he says is put on Jesus Christ. Put on the fact that you are forgiven. Put on the fact that you are loved. Put on the fact that you are fully accepted, and the law has been fulfilled for you. So don't make provision for the flesh. Don't go back to trying to earn your salvation in any way, is what he's saying here. It's very, you know, I remember uh, in seminary and I did, um, I did, I did a stint, uh, I did some CPE at the clinical pastoral education at the Pittsburgh Veterans Hospital. And really where I learned the gospel was there in the trenches. Um, and I remember talking because I was put in the uh, drug and rehab facility. And, um, and I remember talking to a guy who had been raised ve- like in a very pietistic tradition. And, um, you know, and what, what, Whatever he, whatever he was doing got him to this point where he was in a drug and alcohol rehabilitation center at the Pittsburgh VA. And I remember talking to him about faith and about God, and he, he literally looked at me, and with anger and rage, he said, it is my view of God that has driven me to drink. Oh. And, um, and I, I think that that goes to something where we're all at. And, you know, when it's all about discipline, when it's all about gritting your teeth and, you know, smiling through the grit to get it done, to love my neighbor, you know, this, this leads to a world of deserving where you begin to deserve it and think you deserve things. And, uh, and when those don't come, when we don't find fulfillment in the deserving, uh, well, then we begin to believe we're, we, we're owed, or when we begin to search for fulfillment in deserving, and it doesn't come, we think we're owed something, which leads to ultimately drunkenness, or debauchery, or licentiousness, or even maybe not those things, but quarreling and jealousy. Like, damn, I've been doing all this the whole time, and like, you know, and look at them. You know, they don't yeah. do anything, and they get to go to the pizza party. Uh-huh. You know, and, and this is put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, which is all given to you and says, you are enough. You're enough. Um, you know, you are a child of God. And, um, and so just smile. <laughs> Wake up. Yeah. Um, and there it is. 
And uh, yeah, so and I think you're right. The the picture of Christian life is one where we love others, and and we actually love them, as you said, as 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 uh, Sasha Hines said, quoted Pavarotti. It's it's devotion, not discipline. Imagine if somebody was like, well, I don't really feel like I love you, but I'm gonna because I'm disciplined. I'll I'll be nice to you today. Imagine if your spouse said that that, that to you. That would actually be sort of hurtful. Um, you want your spouse to act lovingly because she actually loves you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you want somebody to do the right thing because they love you. So again, any view of Christian ethics. Whereas Paul says it's just like you shall not, you shall not, you shall not, has sort of missed the main idea. Um, mm. The reason you don't commit adultery is because it's not loving to your spouse or to the adulterer, the the the, the mistress or the I don't know what the male version is. You don't Mister. commit murder, yeah, Mister, because it's not loving. You don't steal because it's not loving. You don't covet because it's not loving. Loving wants the best for the other person, as we talked about last week. Mm. And and it's sincere. Now, that leads us to a problem, because how do you manufacture sincere love? Well, you can't. But again, that invites you to do what Paul says at the end of the passage, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to the source. Go back to the gospel. Go back to the fact that you are loved. That's what the armor of light is is amen it's to remember that you are loved and just come back to that come back to your own sin your own flaws and know that you are loved in that that place of honesty and that's where love for others and for god is birthed so the fact that we can't tell you to just do it well that's sort of the point yeah the great news of christianity is you 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 if you see if you misunderstand this and a lot of people will think that this is the ladder to get off of square one no, Paul is saying stay on square one. Put yeah. on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just a one-time altar call. You know what I mean? This is all the time. Every morning, I gotta put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I gotta go back to the beginning and say, save me, you yep. know, save me, Lord. And um, because I, uh, you know, and, and by crying out, save me, that's where the Spirit really moves us beyond deserving yes. uh, to a place of um, thankfulness. Uh, because we realize it's all gift, and yep. um, and really that's what this is all about. When you see life as all gift, then uh, you can forgive your neighbor who does you wrong. Uh, you can um, you can love and yeah. love genuinely. That's right, and that's why I mean I I can't wait till we can go back to a time of regular Holy Communion in church because when you do that liturgy, the whole thing is geared around helping you to put on Jesus Christ again, to remember that you are a sinner, to confess your sins, to hear the grace of God and God's forgiveness for you, to, to know that in the, in the sacrament that's given to you, uh, to eat the flesh, to drink the blood, to know that this is for you. Um, and we never need to move, we don't ever move on from that. We, as you say, we live on square one. Amen. And from that is birth, the kind of love that Paul talks about. All right, so Matthew 18, speaking of love, well, here we have, Jesus teaching about Christian community, he says... Uh, By the way, Aaron, after this, we, I need to have a Matthew 18 moment with you. <laughs> I look forward to that, Jake. This, is, this, is a, this passage has just been misused and misused as a bludgeon. Um, I, uh, I have a good friend uh, who um, is no longer in ministry, and, um, and he was, in, um, uh, he was in, a, uh, in a version of Anglicanism or a group of Anglicanism that shall not be mentioned. 
um, but uh, was told by his bishop because um, he had kind of butted heads with with um, the, the matriarch and the patriarch of this new little Anglican church that he needed to have a Matthew 18 moment with them. Uh, guess who's not in ministry anymore? And so, you yeah. know, uh, not the matriarch and patriarch, I'll tell you that. So, but um, this passage has been like misused as kind of, and whenever anybody says, oh, I need to have a Matthew 18 moment with you, or I need to preach the truth and love to you, I immediately reach for my holster and I'm uh, <laughs> like, bring it because I'm going to bring two other folks, you know what I mean? And so this, this passage needs to be understood and placed within the context of what it's talking about. And that goes to the beginning of Matthew chapter 18, where the apostles ask Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so when you come here to this point, you begin and you need to understand this through humility and suffering and maybe not always getting your way. Yeah. So, but there is there. So, so, so understand it within that context, not I'm going to, you know, put on my holster and go take those folks on, you know, so. Yeah, the, and the, so there's a couple of things to, to note about this. One, Jesus says, if another member of the church sins against you, the word church is ecclesia, it means gathering. When Jesus was teaching this, it did not yet have the connotation that it means for us, where it means like this denominational body where there's a hierarchical structure and there's seminaries and bishops or synods or presbyteries or whatever you might have uh this is just a gathering of the people who are following jesus now of course it does apply to our churches but it's just important to to remember that the the other thing that i think is really significant here is that jesus's model for conflict resolution and again let's note the fact that jesus completely understands that there will be conflict in the Christian church. Uh, many times people are surprised that that's there. Oh, the church is just full of hypocrites. It's like, well, so is the Disney Corporation. Like, everything with human beings is full of hypocrites. So conflict is going to happen. I always tell people there's room for one more in the church. So. <laughs> we always make room for one more hypocrite. Yeah, so uh, the, um, the thing that's incredible here is that he doesn't say what we might expect. If another member of the church sins against you, publicly denounce them and shame them or... Uh, which, cancel them. Yeah, yeah, cancel them. I mean, there's absolutely a secular version of that where the, when you find that somebody's done something wrong, you immediately put it on Instagram or, or whatever, all the social media channels you can to shame them publicly. What you see here is that the point of this is not to shame someone and move on and forget them. The point here is you're trying to restore them. And so what you want to do if you're trying to restore somebody to the community is you want to help preserve their reputation if you can at all do it. And so this describes going to great lengths to kind of help that person save face. So first you go do it alone. Um, and the, again, the idea is that you would regain them. You're trying to restore the relationship. Yeah, the implication there is there's forgiveness involved. Right, exactly. It's not just pointing it out and being like, told you, punk. And it's, it's like it, your sins are forgiven. And it's know? amazing, too, because he's saying, do it. Don't wait for them to come to you to apologize. Mm. So many people are holding on to broken relationships or have estranged relationships because they're waiting for the other person to make the first move. Because they're the ones that hurt me. They should say sorry first. Why should I go to them? Which I totally get. But again, that is an ego-driven, self-centered way to look at it. And what Jesus says is, you go first to say this thing has happened, which is hard. I get it. Uh, and 
near impossible for many, many people for a lot of reasons. And by the way, if there is an abuser in your life and you've been a victim of abuse, we're not saying that you need to go back. And So um, please know that we are advocates for good self-care and all that and work through that with your therapist and with some close, trusted friends. But in terms of just general somebody being a jerk at church is kind of what we're talking about here. And you go to them and you point it out and you try to save face for them and then you go with a few number of witnesses and then only then and only then would you would you go to the whole, whole church and now yeah. he says here this tough thing gentile tax collector treat them like that what does that mean jake well i think you know it's really important because that's linked to the to the to the just the, per, the verses that precede it where jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep and uh in matthew's version of that and so this is all about finding the lost and and Jesus is the one who um, continues to go after uh, the lost sheep, which are Gentiles and tax collectors. And so this isn't a cutting off. This is a continuing to be reconciled and to continue to go after them and to continue to extend grace and mercy to them. It's not about like at this moment, you're done forever. But in light of the, the, the verses that just precede this, uh, of the lost sheep, um, we continue to go after them. And this is why, then, once again, truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Going back to that moment in Caesarea Philippi, you know, we continue to preach not just one word. We continue to share in our pastoral care not just one word, but two words, law and grace. And yes. so this is, uh, and this is the thing, and the, these two words, law and grace, are so powerful. Because he says, again, truly I tell you, if you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you in my Father's name, and uh, uh, or my Father in heaven. And so this isn't about cars. This is about the desire to be reconciled. That's right. And so, you know, um, you know, and so, and it's not, it doesn't take a minion to take, to, to have this. It doesn't take a number of Jewish men with authority to have this happen. This is available to men, women, and only right. two are needed. Yep. You know? That's right. So, so in, in the Jewish tradition, a minion, M-I-N-Y-A-N, not those little yellow guys uh, with Guru, uh, you needed to have that number of people to have a, a synagogue, 10 men, based on the number of spies. Anyways, um, Jesus makes the number much smaller. And as you're, you're right, Jake, this passage, this verse that is on bumper stickers and inspirational posters in Christian bookstores, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. It's also quoted in prayers a lot when people get up before the rotary meeting or whatever and say, Lord, as you say, we're two or three are gathered, we're in the midst of them. That's that's also my justification when I was a youth minister, if only like two people showed right. up at the pizza party. Yeah, or if your, you know? ch if your church so, is, uh, has a small crowd on Sunday, you could say, well, just we're two or three are gathered. God's, and yes, it's true, but what this verse is about in context is about people who were in conflict who are now reconciled. That's what he's talking about here. Jesus is present because these people who were formerly enemies or at odds have now gathered in Christ's name the reconciler. So it's absolutely looking mm -hmm. to his presence and power in reconciliation. People who have hurt each other and been forgiven. It's not just like we're hanging out and so Jesus is here among us. I mean, that's true, Jesus, but Jesus is everywhere. I mean, he's the Logos, he's the eternal word of God. Uh, 
But what it's talking about here is Jesus' presence in people who have been enemies but are now reconciled. It's the stuff that, you know, Jake, you and I have talked about, Daryl Davis, this uh, guy who's been a Mockingbird speaker, and who, mm, yeah. a black man who was sought out to befriend people who are in the KKK. And then ultimately many of those people end up leaving the KKK and becoming friends with Daryl. And that's where Christ is present. Or I, I think in my office I have a picture of two women standing outside of Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, which famously required the National uh, Guard to come in to integrate the school in the late 1950s. And there's a famous picture from that day where a black woman was escorted in by, uh, you know, he- with heavy security. And there's a, a white woman, a student, who's yelling epithets and spitting at her. And the picture I have in my office shows side by side with that black and white picture from 1958, I believe, with them in the present day. And they are, the, the white woman asks for forgiveness and the black woman has extended it and it's this picture of reconciliation. That's the kind of place where Christ is present, where people have been reconciled. And that's what this passage is about. And it only, and it absolutely comes from the place of what Christ has done for you because this pattern of behavior that Jesus describes here going to the sinner with the spirit of forgiveness is what he has done for all of us mm. that is good news and uh, that is a good place to I think uh, wrap up today's episode and so um, happy preaching everyone happy Labor Day and uh, tune in next week um, maybe while you're enjoying your Labor Day and, uh, and hear what we have to say on next week's passages. But until then, yep. uh, God bless you all. Somebody's looking, somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. And we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.